So this is the first episode of the podcast, which hasn't been streamed live. Um, welcome to episode 16. Um, this is, um, as usual, Swift Package Indexing, but we're trying something a little bit different this week. Uh, again, a lot of this is an experimentation of what works for us, what works for the people who are listening. Um, and this time we're trying a offline recording. So um, no, hopefully no lag issues or um, anything like that we have had for the last couple of weeks uh, today. Um, this will still go up to YouTube, um, but it will go up as not a live stream, as just a regular video. And of course it will be published on the um, package index or pa package indexing podcast feed uh, as well. Um, so how are you doing Sven? You uh, doing well? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, let's hope the connection holds up this week. Apologies, everyone. That was that was my internet connection that <laughs> that sort of uh, played a trick on us, and we've made these changes effectively to to try and remedy that and prevent that from happening again. Um, not sure if we'll be able to go back to a live YouTube streamed um, recording with the situation as it is right now with my network, but. Um, We'll do our, do our best to maybe bring that back if that's possible. I think what we've probably done is we've tried to, to do too much all at once. <laughs> to do a fully <laughs> live streamed YouTube version of a podcast when we've never really done this before was probably a little bit ambitious. Um, and this feels like something which is maybe slightly less uh, ambitious, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, why would we approach this different than programming, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes, exactly. So um, so what have you been up to with the uh, package index? I know there's been a, a lot of a lot of work in the last couple of weeks uh, around DOCC. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Sven? Yeah, so we, I think we mentioned this last time. Uh, we've had a, we've set up a DOCC preview feature on our staging environment. Um, what that means is this is, um, building documentation with an upcoming um, compiler version or docc version um, it's from the nightly swift 5.8 toolchain um, so what we do in our staging environment instead of building the documentation or even the packages with 5.7 we've dropped in the nightly and that allows us to run with new features and uh, particular this one feature uh, by Sofia Rodriguez um, which is quick navigation, and, and that's a really nice feature. I think we also mentioned this uh, last week or last time, but it's worth mentioning again what it actually does. This allows you on a documentation page to hit, hit the forward slash key or command shift O to bring up a quick search um, hover, you know, like like a Spotlight or or um, launch bar, these sorts of uh, quick uh, search features. Um, which runs on the documentation page and allows you to search for symbols and everything. And I've tried this in our staging environment and it's just great. I can't wait until we actually have this available in our production environment for all packages. Um, and key is all packages here because in our staging environment, we're not building for all packages because we can't really run the whole system, you know, twice for staging and for production. So instead what we're doing here, we have allow listed, um, a small set of packages, three right now, for which we're doing this. Um, uh, and these are our own um, semantic version package, our SPI manifest um, package, and the argument parser package by Apple, 
these are the three packages we're currently doing this for. Um, if you have packages that you would like to try this out with, um, let us know. We can onboard additional packages. It just shouldn't be, you know, like dozens and dozens, but it's it's quite easy and feasible for us to to extend that a little bit beyond the three that we have right now. So yeah, that's that's it on that feature. Did you have a chance to to take a look at that? I did, and um, I I mean I love this feature. I think it's great. The only thing I was going to say is is one thing that came up yesterday in um, so Sven and I are both part of the Apple documentation uh, work group, which is one of these. Um, Swift work groups that uh, Apple have set up um, and we were having a talk yesterday about how we might um, start to roll this out when 5.8 comes and it's it's one of those things which is quite a little frustrating because it's already working which is great yeah. and um, and yet it may be well it will definitely be at least several weeks if not several months until we can actually roll this out onto um, onto the production site because uh, one thing that we've got to do is we've got to first of all move our entire project to 5.8 and then we can uh, get the analysis working on 5.8 and then we'll do a build system because of course all of this is reliant on that basic build system that we that we use for compatibility testing um and so it's it, it's becoming it's becoming quite a job to 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 move all of that infrastructure forward before we can roll a feature out like this. And what we're doing right now is we we have a separate beta. Well, in fact, it's not even a beta; it's a nightly toolchain, isn't it? Um, that we've installed on one of the builders, and then in that build script, we're switching to that toolchain just for this, just for these specific documentation builds of these specific packages, which is okay. Like it's a fine thing to do, but it's, it, it's, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dependencies on all these systems. Um, and it feels to me a little overwhelming, a little bit <laughs> on this, you know? Yeah. Um, there, uh, yeah, this, this is absolutely true. Like if you look at the release cadence, um, we have typically two point releases, right? One in spring around March and one in, in the fall around September. So chances are 5.8 will, will be released ready or released, like officially released in, in March. Um, at least that's when 5.6 came out last year, right? Um, so that would mean it's another more than three months uh, until that will actually be live in production. Um, now, in the past, we've actually worked around this. Um, I, I remember we built 5.3 or 5.4 um, and had it in our matrix before it was actually released. And it is, you're right, it is easier if we move our project to the latest version because then we can run the analysis with the same Swift version that the project is built with. But that's not a requirement. Um, we can actually run the server on 5.7 and run analysis on 5.8. We wouldn't even have to run analysis on 5.8. Um, we could keep that on 5.7 uh, and, and just run an additional build, you know, add 5.8 as a supported build option, even when it's in beta. The only thing that wouldn't work in that case is if someone submits a purely 5.8 and later package, we wouldn't be able to ingest that. I think that's the, that might be the way to, to do it, um, support builds for 5.8, 
while not supporting pure 5.8 and later packages yet. Um, you know, that might be the, the, um, the sort of uh, in-between solution that isn't too much work all at right. once for us and while also not waiting until March. Um, um, I think the other thing that that's, that might be worth, and I think it, it could be along the same lines as you were just saying there, is we currently run analysis inside that same base image, don't we? And so we could have um, either a completely different base image for analysis and ingestion and all the rest of it, or we could even move those onto a separate server and have analysis completely uh, independent from the hosting of the actual site. So there are lots of things that we could do to, to, to reduce some of these dependencies. Um, but uh, but it, it, at the moment, it is all kind of built on top of, uh, everything's built on top of, uh, of that base image. Yeah, I mean, in the past, what we did is we installed the, the new toolchain inside the base image in addition to the yes. mm -hmm. normal compiler version. So that is, a, that is a fairly simple thing to do. It's just you know, if you can, if we can shave off a little bit of extra complexity there, that might be worthwhile. Exactly, if if yeah. the only thing we lose is is five eight later packages, I think that's that's okay. While it's not um, in release, we so I'm I'm sure we'll figure something out and and be um, be just yeah. We'll probably be so eager to get this in production that we'll, <laughs> we'll figure something out before March. <laughs> but generally, certainly in the projects I've worked on, as long as budget isn't. Uh, an issue having servers do as few things as possible each is always a good idea <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> um so that's good I th and i think i think that the the feature itself is just great um and it's it's a great feature not only for the swift package index but it's a great feature for anybody using doxy to generate their documentation no matter where it's hosted um if you haven't um, had a check, uh, had a chance to check out the, um, uh, the how it's implemented. Um, I would recommend going to um, the staging um, site. In fact, I'll pull it up on the uh, video version. Uh, here it is. So this is the SPI manifest documentation on our staging site. So if you're on the staging site, just go to. Uh, if you're on the Swift package index site, just add staging at the beginning there um, and all you do is if you hit the slash button like Sven said uh, you get a chance to um, search through the documentation right there in a quick bar and if you click through it'll of course move through to that documentation so um, for audio listeners that obviously you didn't see that but but go to <laughs> the package index SBI manifest switch to the staging site and then uh, go to the documentation and hit the slash forward slash key um i have actually over the last few days been preparing for a talk which uh, i'm going to give on this um on this friday um so i'm heading down to the uh, server-side swift conference on uh, thursday afternoon and um, then on Friday, uh, I'm going to give a talk. And the title of my talk uh, is, is rather ridiculous, as with all of my talks. Um, it, the title is um, How I Accidentally Started Running the Largest um, Open Source Vapor Website. <laughs> um, so it, that's, been, uh, that's been the focus of my uh, last few days of just making sure that talk is, is in good shape. 
Uh, it's only a short talk, it's a 10 minute talk. Um, and it basically, I'm gonna basically tell the story of um, how the beginnings of the Swift Package Index um, started out and, uh, and, and then a quick recap of progress so far and then a little talk about the future, all crammed into, well, actually at the moment, I did a run through last night and it's about 13 minutes. So I need to, I need to cut it out, uh, cut a little more out at the moment. Um, but uh, hopefully, uh, um, hopefully I'll be able to do that uh, before Friday. Otherwise I'll just have to talk really fast, which is never good. I was um, going to ask how well can you speed talk? <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think that's obviously that's not the, the not the right way to cut it down. Um, I've already, I've already cut out probably 40% of the talk uh, because the first draft that I uh, sent you Sven was was about um, 20 to 25 minutes long um, but um, <laughs> but I will I will definitely uh, cut a little bit more out um, but uh, but yeah that was that's been it's been fun to kind of put that talk together and um, it made me think about the first time I had the idea for the package index and, and um, I didn't obviously have the name, the package index or anything like that then, but um, it was actually quite a few years ago. Um, and I'll, I'll tell this bit of the story um, now. In fact, maybe if I can tell this bit of the story now, I can cut this bit out of Friday's performance now. Oh, and you link to the podcast. Excellent. <laughs> That's nice right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was WWDC 2016 and they had some big announcements for package manager. If I remember rightly, package manager was released in 2014. Um, and in 2016, I thought, okay, so I think maybe next year, they're gonna support iOS and macOS projects with uh, package manager. Um, and I remember standing in the, I don't know whether you ever went to the uh, Moscone Center for WWDC, did you Sven? I was once, yes, in 2011, uh, once, that's the first and only time I went. So on that ground floor, um, as you come in from the street, there are two huge uh, escalators going up to the, the first floor. Yeah. Um, and it's where they do registration and that kind of stuff. And I remember coming out of one of the sessions, or it was actually a lab, I remember coming out of the lab and um, I, I walked into that area and I, I was thinking, well, so CocoaPods is totally dominant at this point um swift package manager doesn't include any kind of like the coca pods was a combination or still is a combination of both a package manager and also a um uh a, a package search engine um and i remember thinking well that's not going to work so good when when if and when the package manager becomes the dominant uh tool um and so it was back in 2016, I originally had this, this idea of, 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 well, we're going to need an independent, separate package manager, sorry, package index. Um, it actually turned out to be several years before Apple supported iOS and macOS projects um, with package manager. And so nothing actually happened on it for a few more years uh, after that. But that was the original, that was the original idea. Yeah, I mean, long time ago. I, I, I don't even remember when um, when that started, but it's it's been. I mean, it's been it's coming up on three years, right? Since we started working on this together, and this was a year in after you'd actually started. So um, that's right. So the original Swift PM library that launched in August two thousand nineteen, um, 
and then we started so what what was quite surprising to me is in my mind the gap between me launching swift pm library and new emailing was quite short but in actual fact it was uh, april the next year that you emailed me um <clears throat> and then we we worked on it from april and we launched it in june which is not very long <laughs> Because I think yeah, it, was, it, was, was, um, it was late April, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was around mid, late, and until we actually started was like the 8th of April 22nd or something like that. Um, um, and then it, it went really fast. I mean, a lot of that what was easy to, this is, this is actually really nice in terms of Greenfield projects, just to reminisce a bit, um, is you don't have to struggle with a spec because the spec was the original Ruby implementation and, and, and mm -hmm. it was, it was, you know, I could absorb it. Um, just to give a bit perspective, you were, I think you were busy with a contract at the time, right? So your time was actually quite limited, which was, wasn't, wasn't actually terrible because sometimes it's when you have something that you know exactly how to implement more or less, and you can actually make a lot of headway, um, on your own so that lined up really nicely and and implementing it with the template effectively being there um yeah. allowed us to to do this really quickly and, and hit that um wwdc milestone and we didn't we didn't set out to do that right we sort of you know mid-april we said actually this this should be doable we're we're close enough to to have something that was that was fun that's exactly right i remember i remember as as deliberately not setting a deadline but then actually as we got a few weeks into it thinking i wonder if we could hit the wwdc deadline <laughs> <laughs> and we did we did we got it launched by that point so um so yeah there's a bit of a, a trip down memory lane to the beginning of the uh, package index um uh, development I, I thought we should maybe quickly mention that the authors um, change went live. So this has been in, in yes, staging only up to now. Uh, yeah. And this is a feature by Javier. I don't actually know his last name. I looked around, but I, I can't find his, his last name mentioned anywhere. So he is a, um, uh, what's the, what was the program called? The Swift um, Mentorship Program. It was the Swift Mentorship Program. And I, I should uh, I should definitely know that this feature went live because I put it live. Um, so uh, <laughs> it is kind of ridiculous that I'd forgotten that. Um, but we've talked about this feature before. Um, uh, yeah. and, and it's, but it's nice to finally see it on production. One thing which I think we should just mention is um, it's not yet documented. There will be a blog post coming, but it's not yet documented, but there is a way to override whatever we have assumed your author information to be with a string containing whatever you would like it to be if you were a package author. So you do that through this SBI YAML file um, and you can, well, there is a blog post uh, on its way, probably after I get back from this conference, but um, there is a blog post that will explain how to do that. But if you're not happy with the, the the author information as it's being shown right now, you can already change it, and we will tell you how to change it shortly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Cool, yeah, I think that wraps up the news, doesn't it? It does. Let's do some uh, package recommendations. Let's do it. Um, um, I will kick us off, off yeah, um, with um, uh, a package by um, OpenAlloc, 
um, which I presume is a company rather than a person, um, and it's called Swift Compactor. Um, and this is a really nice little, um, it's very simple, or at least simple in scope, um, package that can take a number and display it in a very compact way. <laughs> so for example, you can take um, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven as a number and have it represented as 1.2 million. So 1.2 and then the capital M. Or if it were time, uh, if you would pass it through a time compactor uh, and it would come out as 14.3 D. Um, and I think that is a really nice little uh, package. Again, simple in scope. This is not this is not something that's gonna go in right at the root of your project, but if you have something where you're displaying user inputted numbers or input numbers that have come off the internet and you don't know what the range of those numbers is, um, I can see using something like this compactor um, could be really uh, really a, a, a nice time saver. Yeah, it's really nice. I actually had that on my extended list uh, of candidates for this week um, as well. I spotted that and, and found it really interesting, especially because it covers um, things you wouldn't, you know, that you, you might be tempted to say, well, you know, I can I can divide by, you know, within ranges, divide by a thousand or a million and then, you know, knock it up. But, you know, it's also doing the same thing for seconds conversion into days and, and years and that stuff. Yeah. That's where it goes, that little extra step and gives you additional functionality that you probably don't want to deal with in, if, you, if you're rolling your own there. So really nice package, yeah. And there are three uh, compactors that come with it. There's a number compactor, which will just take the number and, and display it in as, as, as compact uh, form as possible, a currency compactor, and then obviously this time compactor that we've just been talking about as well. So the readme is very good. I would recommend uh, checking it out. That's um, Swift Compactor by OpenAlloc. Nice. Right, my first package this week is called Funmov Kit by Sven Tigi. Um, and this is, I found this interesting for a couple of reasons. So this is, Funmov, for those who don't know, is a, a Dutch um, e-bike manufacturer. Um, they have these fancy bikes which have like, like you know, smart stuff going on. So they have, they actually ship their own app. Um, the bikes have certain functionality like... Um, locks uh, you can change the bell sound so it has a built-in speaker and you can apparently configure that sound to a certain degree i'm not sure if you can actually upload your own file to play but it certainly has some configuration options you can change the light mode i guess how it strobes pot potentially um also the power level and this is where it gets really interesting um because there's a discussion that we had about software ethics to a degree because changing the power level might not be legal in all jurisdictions. Um, so in, in certain European countries, or in many of them, if not all of them, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, there is a maximum speed limit on e-bikes. Um, they have different regulation if they exceed 25 kilometers per hour. Um, potentially, you can mess with this on your own. You should not, and the um, README actually states that in a disclaimer, this is an unofficial library, um, and it is illegal in certain jurisdictions to, to mess with some of the settings you might have access to doing this. But I, I found this interesting because how do you approach this? You know, you have a capability, you own the bike, you, you, you know how to access it. It's apparently not locked 
down you know it's it's not you're not hacking around really um if if there's no attempt made to hide the functionality so um i found that interesting you, do you have any thoughts around how you know around this area i so i i i've my expertise with e-bikes is not very much and i didn't know this was a i didn't know this was a thing until you just mentioned it right now um <clears throat> it's always this kind of thing where um and, and actually what i've i've already started writing um friday's ios dev weekly comment and it's not around ethics so much but it's around um it's uh, clearly this week everybody is talking about chat gpt um which is a mm -hmm. remarkable piece of software but but makes me deeply uncomfortable because we're, we're, we're so keen yeah. to just instantly trust uh, these things. Um, and, and so if you're expecting an upbeat and optimistic uh, introduction to this week's iOS Dev Weekly newsletter, maybe skip till next week. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, it's quite the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. Um, it's, it's definitely along the same lines of um what's the famous line from jurassic park uh we were so um excited that we could do something we didn't think about whether we should <laughs> or, or whatever it was yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting i mean that's that's something to to always bear in mind you know what, what are you doing with the capabilities that you have um and that's maybe not a hugely complex example here and it's easy enough to you know not to mess with it um you know but oftentimes it's not that simple it's not that easy I do looking at the app itself, uh, which is on the screen now for people watching on on YouTube. Um, uh, there's a picture of a of an app that uses this uh, library, and it shows the lock state, and it shows the battery, and it shows the speed limit, and all the rest of it. And it has little Siri phrases underneath each of them, and one of them is this power level, um, and it says, uh, you know, say to Siri, set power level. <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, <laughs> cycling along and you see the hill ahead of you and you just say siri set the power level to maximum <laughs> it I, i'm telling you just to go off topic maybe a bit but i bought a new and decent e-bike three months ago and i previously had a very cheap folding little e-bike that i used for commuting and i switched to this new one because i had used the other one for two years and i knew i was i was going to to cycle keep cycling and, and that's pre pretty much the only thing i do to get to places these days e-bikes are just amazing and having any sort of control over the the assist level is is just great because you you won't skip on journeys you actually seek out journeys because you you know on a good day you just cycle on your own with maybe no assist or little assist but if you feel like it, you can you can turn yourself into a Tour de France <laughs> athlete <laughs> and just you know zoom up these hills. It's just amazing. I I, I love e-bikes. It's fantastic. I think I think this is an amazing development, and uh, I can't I can't wait to see what um, you know newer models will bring. It's it's fun times. I've uh, I've not used one yet, um, and uh, I'm I'm curious about them. But my bike is a um, is a non e-bike. It is a regular bike where the only power comes from how hard you push on the pedals <laughs> not as much fun um okay my next um recommendation or, or package that i found interesting this week um is a package called r swift um and uh it's by mathis caddick um and 
I, th I think this has been around for, well, it's been around for a very long time. It's been developed for seven years. So this is not a new package, but it did have a new release. So I'll talk about the release in a, in, in a second, but just to give people uh, an idea of the actual package itself, um, it generates fully typed, auto-completion ready, compile time checked, um, resources for all of a Mac or an iOS applications, uh, icons, colors, um, views, whatever, you know, whatever's in the um, XC assets bundle, um, it's going to have a look at that and it's going to generate you a Swift file that turns all those stringly typed um, uh, things into actual strongly typed um, Swift code. So for example, um, you could do after you started to use this, if you had a image in your assets file called settings icon, you could do r.image.settings icon and it would give you that UI image or NS image back. Um, so it's a great little package. It, um, it takes away that whole weak point of assets uh, development which is if you get that string wrong you're not going to know until runtime um, and you, it's very easy to ship uh, a version of an application without uh, checking every image and every color and every uh, resource that you've put in the file. Um, the reason it's worth mentioning uh, this week is that uh, eight days ago um, there was a release of a version 7, major release of 7, um, and it adds a Swift build tool plugin. So you can now make this just a part of your build uh, process. Now, of course, you could previously do that with Xcode build phases, um, but it's interesting to see how packages are adopting Swift build tools. Uh, and I thought this was a notable one because I think this is used by a lot of projects. Um, and certainly it's a, it's a great idea and I'm happy to see that people are um, adding build tool support into their packages. Great, that's that's really nice. I th I think it also sort of helps a bit to tell you whether you have actually set this up correctly, right? Because I remember I'm not doing a whole lot of UI development, but every time I do, I put something in, then I use the stringly identifiers only to find at one time the thing is nil, because you know right. some some location wasn't right. But I I suppose this would would already tell you once it's generated the file whether it could actually find the resources in the right places, right? Yes. Excellent. Although those resources are in the XC assets, so Xcode kind of helps with a lot of uh, a lot of that stuff. But right. it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a great project. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. So that's R-Swift. Um, and Sven, your next recommendation. Right, my next one is grdb.swift by Gwendal Rue. Um, this is a SQLite database library. I think it's one of the two most popular ones, the other one being just SQLite Swift um, by Stephen Sellis. Um, and, and this one um, had a, a recent release, and it, uh, in particular I wanted to mention it this week um, because it added, uh, it moved its documentation to the Swift package index, and that's uh, it was really nice to see that there's more adoption around our documentation. And this documentation is is very extensive and interesting. Um, I browsed browsed around a bit. I, unfortunately, I don't have really a useful 
a SQLite database right now, but this looks like a really, really great package to, to interface with SQLite if you have need for that. Um, there's, as part of the documentation, there's, there's a really great overview in, in a section called Why Adopt GRDB? And I found that really nice and interesting because it, it tells you why you should use that package and also why you should use other packages. You know, it's, it's not a um, package like Vapor's uh, SQLite kit or SQL kit that supports also um, SQLite in addition to Postgres and um, uh, what's it, My, MySQL. Um, and, and it points that out. It says, you know, we're, this package is doing specific things that SQLite offers uh, and, and sort of doesn't, doesn't bother with the other ones. And it's, it's specifically catered for um, client-side development. So iOS apps, Mac apps that have need for an embedded database, um, which it uses for um, its, you know, local app storage. Um, really nice. It supports migrations. Database observation has a really good extra section about multi-threading safety. You know how to how to deal with that. It uses actors and async await um, to make that easier and and obvious how to use it. Has async streams, really all around nice package. It's been around for a really long time. Let me actually. So I just checked, and it's been uh, seven years. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I mean that that tells you. I mean, looking at the. At our uh, package synopsis at the on the package page, seven years, ten thousand commits, two hundred and fifty releases. Latest release one day ago. So, if I were to pick a package and I looked at this, I said, "Yeah, that's going to be around." You know, you never know, but you know, yeah. chances are this will be around in three years, um, with the latest release no older than, you know, a, a, a couple of weeks or so. Um, well-supported, good doc documentation, extensive documentation, um, good examples. So, yeah, if you need um, SQLite support, uh, <laughs> I think you, you'll you do well to pick this one. Yeah, and another great indicator on, on um, quality there is actually using the, um, the uh, author's features that we just talked about earlier, which is um, saying that this is written by Gwendol and 87 other contributors. Now... Yeah, I think there's a the, 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 there's there's an argument to be made that you know whether whether a package is maintained just by one person is not necessarily something that that, that is a negative. That's not not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, if you have taken contributions from eighty seven other people, there's enough people interested and you know ch battle testing and using this code in production yeah. that it's that's definitely a signal of of, of a, uh, a, a a positive signal towards package quality yeah that's that's actually a great point i think in the absence of us um surfacing information like how many other libraries use a certain library which is probably not going to be to this package's advantage because it's focused on client-side development and client-side apps aren't typically open source, so we wouldn't even capture that. In the absence of that, seeing 87 other contributors tells you a lot about adoption because yes. it means 87 people have su submitted changes probably because they had little things that they needed or they saw, you know, could use some sanding off, you know, maybe there were some rough edges or feature proposals. I think that's a fantastic indicator for for how well tested and adopted a package is um, without actually seeing a, a you know usage graph um yeah 
another real um, good indicator of quality here is that at the top of the README, there's a table of every Swift version back to Swift 2.2, which if you're still doing Swift 2.2, I, I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, amazing, and what yeah. the yeah, what the latest um, version of GRDB that supports that version of Swift is, which again just shows a real dedication to quality and caring about how other people are using your package, which I think is is wonderful to see. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually great. I hadn't even seen that. Fantastic. So my last um, uh, recommendation for today is um, uh, a package called Pony Express by Adam Wolf. Um, and <laughs> this, well, okay. So let, let me let me be let me be frank about this. The reason I even opened up this package is because of the name. <laughs> I saw Pony I Express exactly in my RSS feed, and I thought, well, I have to know what Pony Express does. Uh, but actually, once I did. Uh, figure out what Pony Express did. Uh, it's a problem that I've, I've struggled with many times. Um, so notification center in, and I'm not talking about the notification center that you'll see in macOS or iOS, but notification center as in NS notification center is, I, I love that API. I think it's such a, uh, I, I, I potentially used to overuse it. Um, I think when we got closures abroad in Objective-C and then obviously we've, we've moved far down that path and, and beyond it now. Um, but, but I still find myself reaching for NS Notification Center uh, relatively often whenever I'm trying to um, uh, write some iOS or macOS code. But the API, while it has been modernized, is, I would say, lagging behind modern Swift APIs a little bit. Um, and what Pony Express does is it modernizes that API. Um, so you can, uh, in a type safe uh, way, you can post and observe uh, NS notifications. So it's one of these packages that takes an existing feature and modifies the API on top of that feature. Uh, so that, to make your code a little more um, reliable and less likely to uh, do unexpected things. Nice, really nice. Does it does it deal with the the unregistering? I don't. I haven't used notifications in in ages, but I I remember vaguely that you always had to be a bit careful about. Um, yes. Um, so it doesn't deal. It doesn't deal with it automatically, but it does give you, it, it, it includes unregistering in its uh, modernization of the API. So you, you get back a, uh, a token, which you can then uh, unregister from uh, in the future. Um, oh, okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I also like, so the package is called Pony Express, but I also like that there's a class uh, in there uh, called Post Office. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So that's Pony Express by Adam Wolf. All right. So my third package is called Swift Secrecy by Mattia Valselli. And this is a, a really interesting package um, when you have uh, attributes in, in a struct or, or elsewhere that you want to mask out when you when you print them or when you, when you want to make sure that it's masked out. So imagine, for instance, you have a struct that carries a username and a token and you want to make sure that whenever you you debug log or print 
your authentication struct, you want to make sure that the token isn't actually being logged verbatim to the console or, you know, to things that might be uh, stored or even, you know, sent across the wire or some somewhere. And this package gives you a little property wrapper at secret that you just prepend uh, the attribute with. And that then um, ensures that when you when you print it um, or log it in other ways that use, for instance, um, string interpolation, it'll make sure that it gets replaced with a fixed string of just stars. It doesn't even try to, you know, just mask the length. It's always, I think, five or six um, stars that you get instead of that um, instead of that secret. So that's nice. It, it ensures that you that you're safe and you don't have to worry about it once you've um, instrumented that attribute. Um, one thing I do know, did note though when I tried this out is if you use dump to log a structure, that actually doesn't doesn't mask it out. So that's something that I didn't see mentioned in the readme. That's probably something to be aware of. On the other hand, dump is probably not something you would use typically for logging. Um, but I suppose that, that can't really be helped because dump is effectively you know, using low-level um, APIs to to get into your structure and, and log it to the console and that bypasses any. So what this package does is implements custom string convertible and custom debug string convertible um, protocols automatically, which then override the printing of the password and dump apparently doesn't use those. Um, but other than that, it's, it's a very nice and convenient way to have a little, little bit of extra safety and um, assurance that you're not um, you know, spilling your secrets in the console. That's really interesting, and certainly there is a similar feature in uh, if you're using OS underscore log for your logging. Um, there's a similar feature in that um, Apple API um, to uh, redact secret information out of your logs too. All oh, right. Yeah. See, I, when I read this, I I did I did um, remember reading something, and I I thought initially it was the redacted API, but that's the UI. You know, that's, yes. is it even called yeah, Redacted? Uh, it's it's yeah. not, I don't think, but I know the one you mean, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, now I remember, yeah. I'm, I think it's it's a bit, the API is a bit more complicated than this. I like this uh, property wrapper because you don't really have to think about it any further once you've instrumented this string once. I, I If I remember correctly, OS log, you still need to, each time you log something, you need to qualify the parts of it that are to be redacted, right? That are private, right. if I'm not mistaken. So that that takes more effort at the at the logging site. You always have to make sure that you that you're vigilant there. And um, yeah, this is nice about this one. This is the belt and braces version of that, where even if you <laughs> if you are using OS log correctly, um, uh, then you can always forget uh, you can always forget that you've also printed a whole load of stuff somewhere. <laughs> Great. Shall we uh, wrap it up there for this week? Yeah, I think that's it. Hopefully, um, we um, we ha had a well. We certainly had a, a, a more smooth uh, audio recording this week, so that's uh, that's been that's been great. And the version that ends up on the podcast feed should be perfect because I'm going to also. Um, uh, now put it together and, and uh, edit it a little bit. We're not going to go through and edit every every um and ah out like some podcasts do because we are we're we're not even aiming to be that professional. But uh, <laughs> but 
certainly what you hear should be better than what, what you heard last week if you listened so thanks very much for listening everybody and we will be back in two weeks time yeah thanks everyone let us know what you think um if this is working better and uh, yeah see you in two weeks yeah bye bye. Th thanks very much take care bye bye <laughs>